This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies. Amplified. So, but thank you for, for joining me, uh, Rob. Um, one of the things, I'll jump, ju- kind of jump right into one of the first points that um, I, in the last seven to 10 years, I've, I've been learning how much uh, Latino, um, I don't know what, what word to use, imprint? Is that is that a good word to use? Like, I thought, you know, I came here in the, in the mid-90s, and then I thought that's how, you that, know. That's when we all got that here. That was we all got here. <laughs> but the more yeah. I kind of go out into communities and just kind of see, I'm learning that it was known as the 60s, and then your family came in in the 1920s. Yeah, so... Uh, First of all, thank you for the invitation. It's yeah. an honor to come and talk with you. Um, yeah, so it's funny you bring that up. I was um, it was about three, three, four months ago, I guess. My dad and I flew out to Northern California uh-huh. for a funeral for my uh, my great uncle. My dad's uh, last. This is the last surviving person from ge- that generation. Oh, he was God. He was in his nineties. And he had lived through cancer. He'd lived through Parkinson's. Uh, he was amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, Ramon Castellano. And he would tell me stories. I'd call him because now I drive around a lot for work. And so I'd call him because he'd always, whenever I'd call him, I couldn't get off the phone for like 45 minutes or an mm. hour. He just wanted to go. Yeah. So I'd do these long drives and I'd call him. And he would tell me stories about, um, they grew up in Des Moines. Uh-huh. And so, you know, they... He was born here. He was born in Iowa. Um, so that would have been, yeah, the 20s and 30s. Wow. And they were uh, migrant workers, uh-huh. um, that side of the family. He was a, my, my grandmother's side of the family, grandfather's side of the family. They, they came over, and as best as I understand it, and I don't know about you, but like Mexican history, man, we don't necessarily keep the closest records, you know? Um, yeah. But they were down in the Valley Junction area. Mm loading and unloading freight a lot. Um, and so that, I think, is kind of the genesis, not just my family, right? There are a lot of families, but uh-huh. of the Latino community in Iowa. And it goes back now. I mean, we're talking 100 years. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I thought it was, you know, mid-90s to now, <laughs> which is still a long time ago. Uh, but that's, that was 30 years ago almost. But, but It feels like that's when it became what it is right now, though. Because mm-hmm. I, always, I always talk about... I graduated from college in 2002. I grew up in Des Moines, come back here, work here for a couple of years, start doing a little Latino organizing. Uh And then I got a job to go out to Washington, D.C., worked out there for four years. I came back, and just in that four-year period of being gone, the just the dramatic turnover in the human infrastructure in our community. Uh Because everybody who's like you, who either came over or were born in the 90s or late 80s, they were establishing themselves now. Right. And so you had all these organizations yeah. and all this organizing activity, and it was amazing, uh-huh. right? Because it, it had changed just in, and then it just, every couple of years, I'd just kind of look around, just take a moment, get out of my head and look around and see what everybody was doing. And it's just, it's been so impressive. Right, right, right. So you've seen it from, you know, uh, you've seen the evolution of, of and the growth of it. Yeah. Why do you think that um, 
communities like the Latino community or immigrants, like we have this urge to organize and get together and like move each other forward. Um, I mean, and we can only speak for the Latino community, right? Because I mean, I mean, there's Asian, there's mm-hmm. um, African nations that are also migrating here and Eastern European. But um, why is there this this need that we have that to like organize and get together. I th- you know, there's probably some social scientists somewhere that can probably give a better answer <laughs> <laughs> than I can. Uh-huh. You know, I, I always look at it as you got to be real about what you have or what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a whole lot of wealth. We don't have, you know, compared uh-huh. to the rest of the country and, and certainly just in Iowa, educationally we're not as advanced we don't have all the graduate degrees and doctorates and all that kind of stuff you see in other communities Uh we don't have the political power Uh that you see elsewhere right so uh some of it's just practical if we want to be determinative of our own destiny Mm. then we have to organize and we have to be greater than the sum of our parts Mm. uh and uh and then there's you know there's a lot of history there there's history just in in Iowa, right? The Placentias and uh-huh, Mary uh-huh. Campos. And, um, you know, my dad ran for city council back in 1979. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've been raising our hands. We've been organizing for a while. And I think we could continue to build on that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, even further back and all over the country, we've got examples of where, you know, we've, we've, made growth right. when we band together. Yeah. That was going to be one of my questions. Like, where does your, because you're, you're a, um, political organizer. Is that, yeah. Uh, That's and, right. uh, you're, uh, I got a lot of hats. On <laughs> yes. You, you do a lot of things and, and I want to touch on them, but where does that, uh, come from? And so you you mentioned your dad. Yeah. Um, Ren, is that kind of where you're. Yeah, a little bit. Right. Um, I got to give credit to both of my parents first off. Um, yeah, my dad ran for city council east side of Des Moines in 1979. Ended up being the only time he ever put his name on the ballot. Didn't win. Um, but he always had the sign, you know, the yard sign. Oh, yeah. And so I was, that was the year I was born. So obviously I don't have a memory of that campaign. Okay. But then as a kid, down in the basement in the workroom, there was an Xavier Barron for city council sign uh-huh. in the corner, just kind of propped up in the corner. And I always remembered that, right? And so that stuck in my head. Uh-huh. And then my folks, when I was born, they named me Robert because they wanted to name me after Robert Kennedy, who was a U.S. senator, uh, ran for president. Uh, so I start reading about the Kennedy family and you know, kind of get inspired. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that helps. And then my family, the dinner table conversation was always about what was going on in the world. Oh, and it wasn't okay. just um, you know complaining, right? It was about like, yeah, this person is doing this or this person's doing that. And, 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 um, and it was a little inspiring, right? Yeah. So you, you start to put all that stuff together and realize, yeah, I, I kind of want to, I kind of live a public life. I uh, want to be out there. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you at early age kind of knew your path or did you have some, cause like some people in college, they, you know, change majors and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I asked, um, Angela, Jackson, um, uh, and I asked her when she decided that she was going to be a lawyer, and she said at age four. She's like, I had my mind made up at age four. I'm like, whoa, that's uh, you know, very early. Uh, but did you also have that, or like, when did? 
because you you're in the political realm. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the short answer is yeah, probably early on. Uh-huh. But this is the type of work that it evolves. So I had no idea, like the job I have right now, I had no idea I'd be doing something like that uh-huh. five, ten years ago. Right. Um, I didn't even know that field existed. Right. So now I work with a bunch of colleges. Uh, 50 of them, you know, in, in Iowa and Minnesota mm-hmm. focused on community engagement and mm-hmm. civic engagement. So getting their students out in the community, building partnerships with community organizations. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that field was around 10 years ago when I was working in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it evolves. Like, it, like I, yeah, like I knew I, I think I wanted to be involved probably in, I probably would have said politics. And now I would say public service because mm-hmm. I think public service is a more honest way of describing it mm-hmm. um and i would say i still am and probably always will be right yeah it's it's like a calling right i mean i know it's kind of it could sound cheesy or you know tacky but it is a bit of a calling i mean there's there's a bit of a you feel like obligated to kind of serve um yeah yeah i obligation is part of it um you know we're i've been pretty lucky uh, my folks you know, they raised a pretty good household. My sister and I were pretty successful. And um, so I always felt like, you know, there's some expectation. Mm. Um, and uh, and so that's always been there. But then it, it is kind of a calling too, right? Because, um, you know, it's it's not easy work. Um, and uh, it's the type of stuff that draws on nights and weekends sometimes. Mm. Um, so it's not... I guess it's not just a calling for me, but my wife's got to be down with it too. Because <laughs> we got we got a couple little ones at home. And, yeah, you know. yeah. Because and I and I guess we'll jump into one of the items that we talked about on our first call was uh, that you um, you kind of recruit people to run for office, speci- specifically Latinos. Yeah. So, do you, can you tell me a little bit about? Um, how that works, how long have you been doing it, and, you know, what made you get into it? Yeah, sure. So um, it would have been 2013. I was uh, I was working for the person I got my first job out of college for, Tom Harkin, who was a U.S. senator in Iowa for a number of years. Uh-huh. And I was running his offices in Iowa, and he announced he was retiring at the end of 2014. He was, he was retiring, and so we were driving home one night from somewhere way out in Iowa, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know. I'm, you know, it was a year and a half away from his retirement. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, turn out the lights here and figure it out <laughs> after that. And he's yeah. like, well, you got, you got to run for office. Uh-huh. I was like, well, you know, I thought about it, but, you know, I'm, I'm a Democrat, and there's, you know, everything's blocked up and where I am. Uh-huh. So he starts running through all these offices. Well, who's, you know, who's got this one? Who's got oh, yeah, they're good. You know, he'd be like, uh, he starts ticking them off. It's like, yeah. And then he's like, well, you should run for school board. Oh, I uh, see. I was like, well. And and I one of the jobs I'd had for him was education policy for four years out in Washington. Uh-huh. So I was really into it and really cared about schools. And, and it occurred to me after a little bit, that's where if I was going to run for office, that's probably where I would start because that was the stuff that motivated me. So I ended up putting my name on the ballot two months before election day for a citywide school board seat in Des Moines. Oh yeah. Ran against two incumbents. The city 
PTA president, uh, and I got in. Uh, and and at that point in time, and I made it a point in the campaign to make it clear that uh, I was the first Latino that ever gotten elected in the city of Des Moines mm. to anything ever. Oh wow! I know, and it was crazy. It was 2013, and we'd been having people on the ballot year over year over year from our community, and we just couldn't get anybody in. Your dad. My dad going right. back, going back, you know, 35 years. So, um, so I got in and, uh, and it was great. Right. Um, started the service. And then not that long after that, um, a couple of people, Rocio Hermosillo was one, Edgar Ortiz was another mm-hmm. here in Des Moines. They reach out to me and they're like, well, I'm really happy that you got in. I want to run now too. Oh, so I, you know, like, Hey, all right. You know, so I went out to lunch with both of them, I think, and sat down and told them everything, you know, this is, these are all the things that worked well for me. These are all the mistakes I made. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then at that point in time, um, so the you found came, yourself coaching them a yeah. little bit through the process. Yeah. And, and so we were getting into, it was probably about, 2014, 2015 at that point in time. And so they were going to be up that fall. And a friend of mine, Omar Padilla, and I, we were both leaving the Harkin office at that point in time. And I saw a commercial for something called um, Ready to Run. And it's a program that Iowa State University has. Uh And they work with women that want to run for office. And I was like, somebody should do that in our community. (laughs) <laughs> and then literally the next thought was I could do that maybe I could do it yeah so I called Omar and we started kind of figuring out what it would look like and it ended up being a, a non-profit that we we started uh, that's been going now for eight years it's called the Latino Political Network oh okay and so we we mentor and coach Latinos that want to run for office uh-huh. all over the state we connect them nobody um Nobody was even keeping a list of what Latino elected officials, what there were in the state of Iowa oh. before we started doing this. Uh-huh. Uh, so we, we have that. We publish it on the website so everybody can go and find these folks. Because a lot of people, you know, Marshalltown, for instance, uh-huh. um, Marshalltown's only ever elected one Latina in its history. Marshalltown's, you know, 35% Latino population. Yeah, and yeah, it has yeah. been for years, right? Yes, yes. Only ever elected one person from our community. She's the only one there. She shouldn't ever have to feel like she's the only one. Though, right, 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 right. Because, you know, there's a school board member in Sioux City, there's a school board member in West Liberty, you name it. They also, the only one, they should be able to connect with each other, right? Right. And somebody just had to kind of build those pathways. Yeah, and there's always got to be that first person that <laughs> goes through it and is like, yeah. do this and then don't do this. Uh, um, but we <laughs> there's, also, there's a lot of don't do this in the first campaign. <laughs> so there, there's a, and you also mentioned, so you, you were the first one in 2013. I was, yeah. And then now you said there's about, uh, give me the number so I'm not wrong. Yeah, well, just in Des Moines, there's, there have been, I think there's currently one. And I think there have been four or five just since 2013. But then statewide, when we got started doing this, I think there were maybe eight uh-huh. between elected officials. Uh, now there's 30. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And then so everybody looks at that and says, wow, that's awesome. And then you said, but there's. But there's over 7,000 7, elected offices. Yeah. So that's kind of what you say. 
there's still a lot of work that needs to be. The way I look at it is I'll be satisfied when representation equals or exceeds the percentage of the population. Uh-huh. So in Iowa, the Latino community is about 7%. So if we had 7% of those 7,000 offices, we'd have 500 Oh, Latino wow. elected officials yeah. be a lot different, right? Yes. And it's not just about our community either. That's the thing I've, I go and tell, talk to people about. Everybody should care about this, right? Because you want your elected officials to represent the community as best as they possibly can. Right. They're going to have better conversations. They're going to make better decisions. You want them to be, you know, they can't represent everybody, right? right. They can't have all that lived experience in a five-person or seven-person city council but you want to have it as covered as much as you can because then you're going to have people making decisions that are more holistic of the community that they Yes, so that that, uh, that serves the interest of that. At least there's a voice on the table that can say, well, no, not. Yeah. Let's not push this because it'll affect our community in certain ways. Right. And, and that, is that kind of how it evolved into what, is now the um, Iowa Latinx Project. Did that kind of came out of that as well? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was, th- I was thinking about it this morning. I think the really the genesis of the Latinx Project is about four years ago, maybe more than that. Um, and there was probably three of us really that um, came together and had the early idea. And it was myself. It was Don Oropesa from Alexito, and then it was Erica Johnson, who was working for American Friends and now does Iowa Movement for Migrant Justice. Uh And for me, the idea for this Latinx project came because, you know, in part because of the school board, I would get asked to be on different boards and foundations and things like that. And it was usually the only Latino that was in Uh those rooms. Uh And one of them, Community Foundation, Every year before, at the start of a grant making, they would, um, they would send out this, just this list of all of these different reports. United Way does a report and, you know, this, this organization, that organization says, these are the needs of the community. Uh-huh. They would send that to the, I was on the kind of the grant making committee and they'd say, okay, we'll read all of these and then, you know, we'll come back, we'll have a conversation about where we want to put money. Uh, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars here. Uh-huh. And one of the reports that was on there is um, uh, called One Iowa, uh, or um, One Economy, I'm sorry, One mm-hmm. Economy, just focused on the African-American community. Right, yes. When did that one come out? It's been out for about five or six years, I okay, think. The first okay. one came out. I remember when it came out. I went to Drake, and they, they announced it. Um, it was fantastic, and it's really meaningful. But I'm sitting here at the table, where's our report, uh-huh. right? We're, yeah. There's more of us. We're right. younger. We're growing faster. And and that always kind of stuck with me. And it uh-huh. took a while, right? And and then I call up Dawn and I, you know, we just have conversations and and she was, she'd been thinking the same thing. And Erica was thinking the same thing independently. So the three of us came together, started talking it out. We ended up going then to get some money from Community Foundation and from Mid-Iowa Health Foundation. Okay. And, they they kind of put the seed money in to be able to start uh, this project. And so the focus of it is and, and was initially, we just have to come up with a report that uh-huh. puts on paper our story, our community story. Right. So that then 
we can advocate off of it, say, well, you know, we need X, Y, and Z policy because the data shows. Right. And the folks that sit in those boardrooms can look at it and say, well, yeah, we definitely need to put some money here because of whatever that report says. And so that's kind of where it, where it started. And then where it grew to that really ties it back to what I'm trying to do with the LPN is to, to really kind of successfully create this report. We had to have people that could do the data stuff. And so we, that's where the money was spent and we raised money and uh, hired people that did an amazing job Mm -hmm. pulling all that together and putting it on display. Um, But we needed people to kind of inform the project. Right. And so instead of just kind of calling the usual suspects, we, we really thoughtfully sat down and tried to think of people that represented different walks of life in Iowa, different professions, uh, and kind of assembled this group that met three or four times uh, throughout the process to kind of inform the data, to talk about the priorities for the report, and then to pull together more people to come in and be focus groups that can inform um, and react to the data. Uh. And and so what was amazing about that is then you had Junior Ibarra, who's you know, realty, uh-huh. uh, connecting with Frank Young Dunn, who's city of Des Moines city planner, and and um, Susanna DeBaca, who's the president of, of the business record, uh-huh. business publications. And all of a sudden now, Junior's on the board for the Polk County Housing Trust Fund. Not all of a sudden, right? He earned it. Uh-huh. But the connections happened through that group. Uh-huh. And then they're just, they build off of each other. I see. And so then it, it becomes more than just a report, right? Uh-huh. Now all of a sudden we're, we're doing what I talked about doing with the Latino elected officials is nobody's just islands in the sea anymore. Uh-huh. We're connected. We know each uh-huh. other. We can support each other. That's how we organize. That's how we grow. Right, 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 right. So this uh, Iowa Latinx project, it I signed off as ambassador to like uh, be yeah. a... Uh, communicate the the right uh, the project and i'm learning how to and we went to a training you know but so it it's you hired a couple of people to do the numbers um let's kind of go one step at a time so like people understand a little bit yeah um so what, what like are they like phd in statistics is that <laughs> or what are the, what's their title that's a good question they actually work out in minnesota um one of the people was a, a faculty member at Drake University here for a uh-huh. long time. She moved up to Minnesota. And then Darcy Vandegrift is her name. And then Joel Hudding is the other person. And it's just the two of them. And they have this little firm. Okay. And Darcy kind of came up with the whole process of, okay, let's bring people together. Let's do the, ask them to do these things and, and, and drove that. And Joel was the data guy. Oh, okay. And so when we wanted to know, for instance, like what is the economic impact of the undocumented community in the state of Iowa, nobody had those numbers. Uh, Joel figured out how to go get those. Oh, wow. And then he designed this database, um, this interactive database on the Latinx, Iowa Latinx Project right. website uh-huh. where you can go on and you can <laughs> look 
county by county in the state of Iowa now and kind of learn the story of the Latino community in that county and then compare it to other counties. Right. You can see what's yeah, the home ownership You can type rate. in Polk County and it'll give you... It'll give you all the data on graduation rates, home ownership, all those types of things, um, educational attainment. And then you could say, okay, well, what does it compare to Pottawatomie County? Like, you know, how, how well are we doing? How does it compare to Marshall uh, County? And and that's how you could start to ask better questions then yeah. and then advocate for things. Right. And it's all free. It's all, you know, the report itself, you can download it from the website, the, the, the interactive dashboard. You can you can interact with that as much as you want. It's all it's a resource for our community, right? Yeah, and I've surfed around it, and it's uh, it's so well done, and it just you know flows really well. And and uh, I I felt compelled to sign up for it because uh, most of the time, without this pre Iowa Latinx project my points were always like, yeah, we're, we make a lot of, you know, we are very entrepreneurial. We buy things, you know, we buy houses, yeah. we buy, but it's very, you know, it sounds like my, my like in my opinion, you know, uh, is very opinionated. Right. And I'm passionate about it, but it's like, that's where it ends. And how do I make somebody on the other side, understand it a little bit more if I'm just, if they just feel like, well, you're Latino, of course you're talking good about, yeah. about them. And of course you want to, you know, but this just takes all that away. This this uh, project takes all that away, and it just like here are the numbers, uh, and so this is why, you know, the importance of you know. So it it, it for me at least it cleans up a lot of that. It data. adds to it, right? Like you have the first person knowledge, you have the passion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's enough to get somebody's attention uh-huh. to change their mind. Then you bring in the data, uh-huh. right? Because they're dispassionate, not in a bad way, but this just, this is not their community. Perhaps right, this right, is right, not right. the life that they're living. But if you can make the point on their turf that what you need, they can provide, then that's how we start to advance. Right. And so that's what this is. It's just, this, it's all this data that, you know, we've never really had access to. And, uh, and it's just it's uh it's something to live on forever too yeah 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 so these are 2020 2021 numbers mm-hmm. i think that's right and then uh i believe like you guys are working on update on keeping it updated yeah fingers crossed i think you know it always comes back to money and you know it's kind of a it's a non-profit type of thing so you have to go out and raise money to be able to uh uh to be able to pull the data um, and, or, you know, to hire the people to be able to do the work. Um, but I think the goal is that, it, you know, we'll, every couple of years we'll always be uh, able to keep uh-huh, updating uh-huh. the data. And, yeah. and that's what One Economy did. So they are on their second report already. Oh, okay, okay, They okay. put the first one out a few years ago. They came back with the second one. And then they had policy recommendations. And that's what we're working on right now, too. Oh, I see. Uh, and we've got different committees. So I chair the education committee. Here in Central Iowa, we just focused on right now um, connections um, between schools and parents. You know, kind of we did a survey. You know, I had Way helped us out with that to ask like what the local school districts are doing um, to connect with Latino families. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we want to, as the year goes on, we're going to start convening some uh, some families and having conversation about 
what they like that their uh, school's doing and what uh, they wish that they were doing that they're not. And the idea then is that's a resource that we can put out that will hopefully uh, make our school districts better able to serve Latino families. Right. Yeah, because it's broken down. Education, immigration. Education, housing, and... Business. Uh, yeah, business and economy. And health. And health, yep. Right, right, so right. five areas. Right, 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 right. Yeah. What is the number or what numbers have stood out to you that you were like, what? Like that you had no idea. You know, Don always comes back to the um, home ownership rate in Marshall County relative to Des Moines. Um, you know, the Latino community has a much higher home ownership rate up there than they do down here. Okay. Which is important because, you know, that's wealth generation for our community uh-huh. um, and generational wealth. Uh, that one sticks with me. Uh, I always, I knew a lot of the data on graduation rates and I knew that there was a 14 point lag. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Iowa has a very high high school graduation rate, always in the nineties. Okay. And the Latino community is always in the seventies. Okay. And, and so I knew that and, and it was nice to, um, see it highlighted, um, and have more conversation about, uh, the choices that families are making and how schools are serving students um, because you know we're we're only growing I think I want to say I always look at it this way the, the more micro targeted you get the more it doubles what am I talking about in the state about seven percent of the population is Latino okay in Des Moines it's about 15 percent so it doubles in the school district, in the Des Moines Public School District, it's 30%. 30% oh. of those kids in the 30,000 student Des Moines Public School District are Latino. Uh-huh. So it's the future. Like this is the future of the whole state right, right now is how yeah. well we serve those kids. Right. Our kids. Right. Right. And so, you know, it can't be us that just are shouting and caring about it. Everybody else has got to be bought in. Right. Right. I'm curious to know the... Perry, uh, I grew up in Perry, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I showed up in Perry and I was a freshman, and it was, uh, I think it was like nine of us, and two of them were my sisters. <laughs> so it, was, <laughs> it, 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 I don't know if it happened, but in my mind, it's just like us, you know, standing and just watching this, you know, ninety-eight percent, just oh, uh, uh, culture shock. Yeah, yeah. Because we came from California, Guatemala to California. California is very diverse, even at even in the nineties, you know. Yeah. So, but when we came here to Perry, Iowa, was like ninety eight percent white or ninety nine or something. And I've seen you know Perry evolve into. So I'm curious to see how much the percentage of the Latino community is there, or Marshalltown, for example. Yeah, Marshalltown. Like, I would dare to say it's fifty percent. It's it, a lot of Latinos now in, in those small towns. It is. Um, <clears throat> I say 35 a lot with Marshalltown. Uh, I think that might be a little dated, might be higher than that now. Uh, Perry's always been about that 30 to 40%. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Which Denis- is high. Yeah, it is. Denison's about 50%. Storm Lake is 35, 40. Wow. Uh, Hampton, West Liberty, those are also in that 25% and more. Of the population. And it just keeps growing. It'll, it'll continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, <clears throat> our families are moving into these communities for work, right? Largely for 
um, agricultural or meatpacking. Right. And then other businesses are trailing. Uh-huh. So you drive down Main Street in Denison, you drive down Main Street in Storm Lake or Marshalltown, and you see just as many Latino-owned businesses right. as anything else, right? right? And, and those communities wouldn't be there without them. Right. Uh, and then we're staying, right? Like this is the thing that always kills me about policymakers in the state of Iowa is, you know, they wring their hands about the decline of the rural communities in small towns. And that's absolutely, you know, population bears that out. There's only like five or six counties per year that actually grow. Everybody else is losing people. Uh-huh. But we're going to a lot of these communities and putting down roots. Uh-huh. And yet some of those same folks that wring their hands about the state of rural Iowa are the same people that are antagonistic to right. our yeah, community. Yeah. It's so conflicting. It is. To their own, like, uh, point. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh, I lost the question, but <laughs> so we we're talking about the, the 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 impact. Okay, so this is it. It was more of a point, like uh, Latinos. Also, we stick around our family. We're close. We stay closer to family too. We don't fly. You know, we're not really a uh, good chunk of us is not really looking to get away or go somewhere else. Uh, and I tell this to somebody, and I've started to realize this myself. It's like, you know, people that uh, that want to go and you know go to college somewhere else, or just move out of the state because they they want to go somewhere else because they 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 uh, they've been here all their life. They want to go somewhere else, right? And I'm like, I'm already somewhere else. <laughs> you know, like I came thousands of miles from where I supposed to be, right? Uh, and then my second uh, place was California, and then now I'm here. So, so like, me wanting to leave, that urge is not there because I'm already somewhere else from where uh, we were. And um, so we stick around more around our family, and therefore, you know. Uh, so one can make an argument that did Latinos did uh, uh, save some of those dying towns in Iowa. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the way I would look at it is we chose to be here. Right? Uh-huh. A lot of those first and second generation families, they chose they came here of their own volition. They chose to come here and they chose to stay here. Right. I'm I've chosen to stay, right? But I'm fourth generation in. Uh-huh. Um, but I've I I did the thing. I went out to the East Coast. I worked out there for 4 years. I came back. We bought a house. We're here. We're rooted here. We're not going anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, folks that have been here and arrived within the last 25, 30 years chose to come to stay in Iowa. Uh-huh. And I talk to candidates all the time, and it comes up a lot. Well, you know, I'm running for city council, and you know, I'm running against somebody who you know, their family's been here for generations, right? And I just moved here five years ago, you know, and, you know, how do I deal with that? I mean, it's a very common kind of issue, especially in our community, um, but for a lot of candidates. And the point I always make is you chose to come here. Uh-huh. Don't run away from that. Right, right, right. You right. chose to move here. And then not only that, you chose to move here and you're doubling down on that by raising your hand to run for public office. Right. That is an asset. Uh-huh. And that's going to that's gonna drive people to support you, Uh and that's just in a political campaign, let alone just the 
you know, the choices that thousands of us have made mm. the last generation or two. Yeah. So the 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 Latinx project um, helps uh, helps you make a point of, or at least this is how I see it. Helps you make a point with numbers, but it also it should uh, help people understand that this is a uh, this is a it, it translates into dollars. It translates into the economy. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it will affect the economy in whichever way it get, it goes, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of that's where I see that it's important, at, at least for from my side on the business side. Mm-hmm. You know, um, cities, for example, or towns, they're always wanting more people to move in. They want more talent to move in. They want more business to be built. They want more houses to be bought, right? So all of this. Uh, this is what uh, uh, a city needs, right? To to continue more taxpayers, yep. right? Um, and like you said earlier, that's that uh, it drives you crazy how politicians are antagonistic to some of this in a cultural sense, but in the numbers, it doesn't. It it goes against uh, the numbers. Contradict what they uh, what they're saying, so. I don't know if there's a question there, but for me is, you know, I was at a panel and I knew I wasn't going to get invited again. So I was like, okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> We've all been there. So I used, I used, you know, I said, you know, there's, uh, over 4,500, uh, Latino owned businesses in Iowa. Uh, in central Iowa, there's over 1500 Latino businesses, Latino owned businesses in Iowa. Uh, and we're contributing, I believe six billion dollars into the economy yeah. somewhere around there. So I was like, "We're not a charity case." <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know, this is this is a good business decision for you to, uh, uh, you know, uh, do business with us and and open up resources and you know, uh, uh, you know, how how much are we contributing to the economy? And I was there, and there was. Uh, it was a, like a procurement uh, kind of panel. Yeah. And it was like this, the city of Iowa City, uh, the city of Urbandale, like procurement people that work for those cities. Yeah. And I was like, you, you know, we're not a charity case. You know, this is these numbers show you that that it will equate, it will translate into more, more, uh, more dollars into the city that you represent. We're the future, mm. right? We're the future. And... You know, the point I would build off of that is, and I'm going to shout back to that dashboard that's on the uh-huh. Iowa Latinx Project website. That dashboard, you can flip a switch and you could see the economic impact it would make if every undocumented immigrant, not just Latinos, uh, had uh, were naturalized or had, had legal status. Uh-huh. And immediately that adds millions of dollars uh, every year to local economies all over the state. Uh, um, and so that's the whole, you know, shooting yourself in the foot type of thing right here, right? Uh, every state legislator, all these people that was talking about, you know, oh, we have to grow the economy, we have to grow the economy, um, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs. Right. Right. And there's thousands of us that 
are working every day uh, and paying taxes that they're not, they're paying into things like Social Security that they're not going to receive. Right. Um, that if they had uh, full legal status and if we had better pathways for them to use graduate degrees that they, they bring with them uh-huh. from other countries, right. then you could really grow this economy. Then you would then you would have more people that are able to earn at a higher rate, mm-hmm. buy into their communities more, invest even more in their homes and stay and put down those roots so that these communities, whether they're you know, the Des Moines or the Iowa cities of the world or the Storm Lakes and Hamptons of the world, they're gonna continue to grow and get right. stronger. That's and 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 that that dashboard tells that story very clearly. Yeah. And but not to get too political, but maybe we should, since you're the hey. I mean, this this is a uh, political hot tamale. <laughs> you're like, to some politicians, it's good for it to be broken too, right? Like the immigration yeah. system, right? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's. This it, is not a conspiracy theory. No, 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 no. I mean, if you if you can run every year off of an issue, you don't need it to ever be fixed because right. you could just continue to run your campaign off of the good or the bad out of it. Um, and the reality is the solution's not going to satisfy anybody when it actually comes. Right, 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 right. Because um, you can't, the, the country's too, uh, uh, too divided uh. on it to, uh, to really get what 100% of what anybody wants. But, I mean, Jesus, we've been talking about this for 20 years. 40 years, really, since uh, the last time that there was a kind of a meaningful... Like an amnesty? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so, I mean, you know, the point of the Latinx Project is to marshal some of that data so that more of us can then go out and make that argument. Because I don't have to be the only one that's... And I'm never going to be the only one. I'm not the one that has lived experience. Uh There's plenty of others in our community that are going to be even better messengers than I am. And now they have all this data. Uh to make their argument even more persuasive. How how do you, well, th- this project and all these numbers help, but how do you uh, answer to somebody when they say, they say uh, you know, why does it everything have to be about race? <laughs> Maybe, is that too broad of a question? But like, but you know, you, that's an argument on the other side. It is. Like, why it. does everything have to be, what's, what's your, rebuttal for that one well in a lot of people's lives everything is about race i think that you know the way that you're perceived um impacts uh the choices that you make uh so let me make let me tell this story mm-hmm. i said earlier you know, i was the first latino that got elected in in des moines and i put it on all of my materials you know latino you know, whatever, you know, uh-huh. the things that would people point people to say, would know everything that they read, they would know, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm electing a Latino if I vote for this guy. Right. Because I wanted to make that point. Uh-huh. But also, generationally, my name has been anglicized. Uh-huh. Baron is the pronunciation. Uh-huh. It was previously Enriquez, and that was changed three generations ago. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I've been here for long enough that my native tongue is what I'm speaking right now. 
So there are there are reasons why I was the first one that got in. Uh, I think uh-huh. um, that I will always believe. So your dad was on the ticket under what name? Uh, Baron. Oh, Baron. 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 Yeah. Okay. But it was, it was his dad before that that okay. changed the family name from Enriquez. Um, and so my my point is, I guess, you know, you ask about race. I present more neutral to uh-huh, a lot of folks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I also dress like this all the time too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I I walk into rooms and I just you know. I mean, more and more now people speak Spanish to me when I walk in the room, but still I, I walk in the room and you don't necessarily know what you're getting with me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, we had a candidate, um, very different situation, spoke with a Spanish accent and he would have doors slammed in his face when he was knocking. And I'm uh-huh, sure that these were, uh-huh. you know, probably doors there. I didn't get the, get slammed in my face. So, uh-huh. so race matters. The other point here is you look at all of this data that's in the Latinx project and it tells the story of where we are, where Latinos are relative to other populations in the state. That's factual. There's, you can't run away from that. It's black and white. And where it matters then is it's on us to pull together. It's on us to support each other. Uh And we have to see the similarities. We have to see, um, the the um, the shared experiences that bring us together and define us, and so that is about ethnicity, and right. that's where it matters. Right. It's it's almost because some people don't like identity politics, right? But but this isn't. I don't think this is this is identity politics. This is uh, no. I mean, you know, I the the whole. Identity politics is kind of like a hammer that people try to use to uh-huh. get out of arguments. I mean, uh, okay, I, I, okay, okay. You know, and, and some poli- some identity politics is just brutal, right? right I think right, there's right. a lot of, I talk about how a lot of politics is transactional, right? Uh-huh. Like party X comes to our community and says, well, we need, you know, 2,000 votes by November, you know, and they'll throw some resources at you and say, okay, can you go get us these votes? And then like the day after the election, win or lose, you know, forget about this. You're, you're, you're done, right? There's <laughs> because they're, because they're structured to win an election and then they all go do other things. Uh, and there's no kind of long-term growth and development within a community like ours. That's uh, where it's transactional. Uh, That's transactional politics. That has a branch of identity politics, right? Because it's like, well, can you get votes from this community? Right. Um, that stuff I've got no time for. Right. Um, you know, the, the reason I'm doing the LPN and the reason I'm bringing some of those strategies over to Iowa and Minnesota Campus Compact uh-huh. is because we have to do what my old boss, Senator Harkin, used to say is build a ladder of opportunity. Uh-huh. What's that mean, right? There's... We all climb this ladder in our lives, right? We go to school, we graduate from high school, go to college, buy a home, get a job. Like those are all rungs on that ladder, right? Uh And the higher you climb, you get elected to office. You know, you get on a board. These are things that get you a little higher up, Uh right? But not everybody has the same access to that ladder. The rungs aren't all there for everyone. Uh So 
what we have to do then, and the reason this all matters, is we have to constantly be looking around for areas where rungs need to be added to that ladder. Uh. And we would know, you would know better than others where those gaps are. Because you've already climbed that ladder, uh. right? And, and others have. And, and so that's why politics needs to be more representational than it is right now. Because uh. politics, a lot of politics is about adding rungs to that ladder. But if the same folks inhabit those seats, they're going to miss the spots where that ladder has gaps. Uh. And so that's why we have to make sure we have more and more folks that just represent different aspects of our community that can come in and say, actually, no, this doesn't work for these folks because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And I don't think people understand, I mean, just circling back or moving back a little bit yeah. to your point of like your, that your last name evolved or changed. Yeah. And that's a reality for a lot of people uh, that they feel the need that they it needs to happen in order for more opportunities to open up. Yeah. Because, I mean, I could say, you know, Amner Martin or something, you know, like you it kind of uh, more palatable, I guess, or, you know, uh, um, but then it feels like you're abandoning something uh, mm. of your own identity, right? But some people, like your grandfather, had had to do that. Do you guys talk about that? Like, the, the, is... Uh, uh, within the within your family, you don't have to talk about it, but like there was mm -hmm. a big decision, right? There to was a decision. That's another one that's kind of lost to history, unfortunately. So okay. I don't really know uh -huh, uh -huh. why, and and my dad doesn't know why, and um, uh, you know, there's we have ideas and and things, and and uh -huh. I think I'm sure that some of it, um, I think there was some family dynamic that uh -huh. was in there, okay. and I think there was also just some rationality right right like um baron isn't necessarily baron it could be baron uh -huh. i didn't grow up uh -huh. knowing that or thinking uh -huh. that right um you know it was it was baron 60 60 70 years ago uh-huh uh -huh. um, and i i believe in my heart that 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 helps explain how i got to where i am uh -huh. right now and just in the way that, you know, a, a lot of what we do in life, we do, we put effort into it, but then there's forces that are beyond our control uh, that um, will determine whether we get there or not and how uh, we get there and who's uh, there with us. Right. Um, and so there's, you know, you only, you only control so much of your destiny. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's been, you know, uh, studies that even in, in real estate, for example, you know, that. Uh, there's disparities that, uh, um, you know, African-Americans or if you have your name is too black or too Latino, then then even loans or even showing you the houses is, is you're limited to because that, you know. So when people say that it's not everything is about race, sometimes it is. <laughs> and... Um, I'm not intellectual enough to break it down, but I have the my experience to speak of, you mm -hmm. know, uh, and you know, there, it does make an impact. You know, it does. It does. You know, when somebody sees me and hears my last name and sees the color of my skin, that plays a role in their decision making. Not everybody, 
but some. So so I'm sure that there's been some doors that they didn't were not open for me just because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's really all that controversial to say, right? Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, as human beings, we function based on kind of what we see and 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 interpret and make all these decisions very quickly, um, and uh, and so it's not. It's a, it's actually quite innocent of a reaction. The the reality then is you just can't deny that people see and perceive people of color differently uh. when they walk into a room, uh, and uh, and so that's the that's the problem. That's where it gets to be bad. Is we you know we just have to have honest conversations about acknowledge this stuff. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you see? Uh, the political field right now, as far as like representation, uh, um, for you know, for Iowa, for Des Moines, for the Polk County, uh, is there anybody that's uh on the come up? <laughs> uh, yeah, there always are. Um, you know, so we're having this conversation, it's 2023 right now, three years ago, there was not a Latino in the state legislature ever. Had never been one. Uh-huh. Now there are two. Um, Mark Cisneros out of Muscatine uh-huh. and Adam Zabner out of Iowa City. Okay. And uh, and Adam especially, twenties, uh, maybe twenty five, twenty six years old, pretty young. Uh-huh. Um, Venezuelan, um, uh, second generation, uh, and bright works very hard um he's going somewhere right um there are people like um maria alonso who uh-huh. now holds my seat on the school board uh-huh. um who is just fantastic works incredibly hard um so yes uh and the fun thing about what i do uh-huh. with the lpn uh-huh. is i care a lot more about odd year elections than i do about even year elections Everybody oh, else, okay. all the money and all the attention is always on the even year elections. That, uh, when the president is running. It. Yeah. Millions of dollars get thrown in those. I said earlier, the 7,000 elected offices in Iowa, uh-huh. four to 5,000 of those are up every other odd year. Uh-huh. And they're, most of those campaigns require you not to raise any money, um, which we think, well, yeah, politics costs money. And a right. lot of it does because we see the big ticket stuff your average city council race, you don't have to raise any money. Um, you have to maybe in the smaller community, you might have to raise a hundred vote or a hundred, get a hundred people out to vote or 200 people out to vote in Des Moines. It's a lot more, you know, other large communities, that's the case. Um, but the bar to entry and these local offices, which are city, city councils and school boards, those are the ones that are up in Iowa in odd years. Uh-huh. In states like Minnesota, it's different. They're up all over the place. Uh, but the bar to entry in Iowa in those odd years is really low. Right. And there's so many offices that are open that that's where we make the biggest jumps forward. Uh. We might get one Latino elected, uh, two, three, maybe statewide in an even year election because there's fewer offices that are up. They're controlled by the parties and they require more money. Right. Because there's a bigger turnout. There's a bigger turnout and, um, there's expectations. So like, uh, like the state legislature, the, the Adam and, and, and Mark that they, 
if they want to run and be a candidate, they have an expectation from each one of their parties that they raise usually something in like the $20,000 range if they're going to be a candidate. Uh. Otherwise they, you know, they don't get the support of the party and, uh, and, and, you know, to get to that point in, in, you have to be able to win a primary, which, Uh, you know, it's, you know, when I ran for school board, I got a hundred signatures and turned them in and I got on the ballot. Um, so on the, you, you're saying the odd years are the ones where more focus should be put on because it's, it's easier to, it's easier to get in. And then once you're in, then you, you learn if you like it, if it fits you. Um, if you find that it does, you might then want to progress up and might want to go to a different office, maybe a county office or a state legislative office. Um, and then once you're in, you could do things like what I did, which is make an intentional decision to find someone in our community to run when I left. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, it's it's um, it's about that legacy, right? And uh, and being intentional in terms of who's going to follow you when you leave, which is another aspect of this. Which you know, we're so young in this, and we're trying to get people in. Uh-huh. I think a lot about how do we make sure that you lay the groundwork so that there's someone from the community that's able to step in yeah. when you leave. Yeah. So this is going to be an even year coming up. This is it. Well, so we're in an odd year right now. Uh, okay. Okay. So you'll have, you know, thousands of school board. I mean, there's, there's 2000 like school board right now, seats. 2023, 2023. Uh-huh. Yeah. In November, uh, we'll all, we can all go vote in November, wherever you are. Uh, and you'll have an opportunity to go vote and you still have an opportunity to be a candidate actually, because you don't have to file your paperwork to be a school board or city council candidate until September. And it's early August right now. Um, so I would plug that first. It, you know, if you have any interest or you uh-huh. know anyone with any interest to call me, uh-huh. maybe we could put contact information. Sure. Yeah. We'll, the, we'll put all the links and stuff. So make sure that they yeah. know. Uh, everything I do with the LPN is free. I, I don't charge people. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure that they have the information they need to, to, to run. Uh-huh. Um, but then you, so, so there's 2,000 school board seats in the state of Iowa, so half of them are up every year. So there's 1,000 school board seats up across the state. Wow. Every community, there's going to be a school board seat. There's 5,000 city council seats in the entire state. Easily half of those or more are going to be up. So you're talking about 2,500, 3,000 seats. All of these spots are open. You know, listen, some people run you know, for re-election and, you know, there's obviously there's not necessarily going to be somebody everywhere, but the more places that we can get people on the ballot, the more opportunities we have to win. Let's do a one-on-one right now. So do you have yeah. to be a U.S. citizen to run for uh, city council? You do. You have to yep. be a born? Uh, not born, no. Uh, you could be a naturalized citizen. As long as you're eligible to vote, you're eligible to be on a ballot. Oh, maybe I'll run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well... <laughs> and let's 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 flip that one around around so what's the what are the first two things that i always ask every potential candidate yeah yeah, yeah. i say is your family behind you uh-huh, uh-huh. do they understand what what you're getting yourself into right not just for the campaign but then for the service because the service could be four years you could be committing yourself to uh-huh. and and i learned this the hard way i my son was born the same year that i got on the school board and my wife and i had to figure that out and it wasn't easy um, 
but you have to, and, and what I like to do is I like to connect people with other Latinos that are on school boards and other, other communities so uh-huh. that they can ask those questions. Well, you know, what is the time commitment like? Right. Um, so do you know, is your, is your family, do they understand what you're buying into? And, uh-huh. and the other question is, do you know what you're buying? Do you know that the office that you're running for affords you the opportunity to make the change you want to make? Uh-huh. Cause we all want to run for something because we right. want to fix something, right? right? right, right. You got to make sure that you're, you're running for the right spot. Uh-huh. And, and so we have those types of conversations. If the answer is yes, then we get you going, uh-huh. you know, we get your plan going and work with you. Ah, okay. So you don't have to be a naturalized citizen. Naturalized citizen. For city council, mm-hmm. school board. School board, same. Any, yep. Everything, basically. Yeah. Yep. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, you just... 18. 18. Just, you know, as long as you're el- eligible to vote wherever you want to run. Uh, so, you know, if you're watching this in Perry, you want to run for office in Perry, right. you just have to be an eligible voter in Perry. Are you registered to vote right now? If you are, then you can your name on the ballot and then there's 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 these things called signature requirements uh-huh. where you have to go out you print out these sheets of paper and they have 25 lines on them and you have to have people you you basically you you write on the top rob Barron running for school board and you go around and you ask people to sign your petition and you have to get a, at least 100 you usually always go for 150 or 200 signatures um to get your name on the ballot okay they don't have to vote for you they just have to be registered voters in your community and they sign it and say, yep, you know, and, and so you have to go through that step. Okay. You turn that in to uh, your county uh, auditor and you can get on the ballot. And then you're on the ballot and then you campaign. And then you campaign and then you go and you do um, with, with a campaign. The, the first question you have to ask is how many votes is it going to take for me to win? Uh, and you can, learn that by looking at the past elections and then you can say okay well if i have to get 250 votes how am i going to get those 250 votes and then you start to plan out your strategy and what's 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 a what's a county that you're more eligible Polk county or yeah. like or let's sure let's do an example right now so like there's uh yeah different districts right for city council sure uh, districts yep. or board there are they're both districts wards, and wards. Well, Ward 1, Ward 2, what is that? There's, so for city council in Des Moines, there are wards and there are at-large seats. So okay. There's, okay. there's both. At-large means the whole city can vote for you. Okay. So mm-hmm. on, a, on the best year that you advise, which is the odd years, yeah. what is the number of votes that you need to get into a city council for any of the wards here? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I mean, just... Rough numbers. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be somewhat dependent on where you're running. Uh-huh. Um, so the east side of Des Moines might take <clears throat> a couple thousand votes. Okay. Um, the west side of Des Moines, where more people turn out and vote, even though it's the same number of people, it'll probably take you closer to 10,000 votes. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Um, and so what you do is you say, okay, well, this is the number of votes it's going to take me. That's my win number. Uh-huh. That's a, I, need, I need that plus one. Uh-huh. And then you, you, you work backwards and you say to yourself, okay, well, I know my wife will vote for me and <laughs> my dad will vote for yeah, me, yeah, yeah. right? And I got two. And you, you literally, you start that, that small. Right. And, you, and, and in our community, where our asset is, is there's a lot of Latinos that 
would we, we we could bring in to vote for us that otherwise may not turn out and vote in that election. Uh-huh. And so those folks end up becoming the margin. Now, no, in most communities, you're going to have to connect with more people than to the ones that you know, right? Like, I don't know 10,000 people here. Uh-huh. Uh, and so then you come up with your strategy. Do you say, okay, well... <sighs> I'm going to go knock doors uh-huh. every night and every weekend until the election. I'll tire myself out, but right. it'll be, you know, I'll go talk to people and I can do that. And, you know, when I ran the first time, uh, I raised money so that I could send postcards out to all the people that voted in the last couple of elections. And you get that list from the county. It's cost you 50 bucks for the list of people that voted. And, Oh, you, you get a list of people that actually go vote. You do, oh. yeah. So every county keeps the records of people who voted and all their contact information, and they'll sell it to you for 50 bucks typically, and it comes in an Excel spreadsheet. And then you can go and you can say, okay, well. Um, and vote, so I'm going to go talk to them and see. Those are the people I'm going to go to. But then you also know <clears> these <throat> people that aren't on that list that I know I can get to vote if they know I'm running. I'm going to talk to them. And that's a different conversation. Uh, you don't have to persuade them to vote for you. You just have to educate them on when and how to vote. Uh, the other people, you have to persuade them. They don't know you, uh-huh, but they're uh-huh. probably going to vote, right? right so right, you right. want to go and have that conversation with them. Uh, and that's where like... The, and then there's ones that don't vote, yeah, don't know you, but they could be voters. They, they could, could be. Get to know you. And in a, in a local election, that's a hard population to try and win over uh, because you only have so much time right you only have so much energy um it's hard to spend a lot of effort going out and bringing people that aren't otherwise going to vote and don't know you and getting them to vote um that's just being real with it uh-huh. it feels better to do some of that work because you're broadening the people that are turning out and voting and you're doing you're doing the good work of democracy and we want to do that right but it's a harder it's a harder game to win with right 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 because there, there are, but there are some you know just like for president right like there's some voters that are disillusioned detached they, they don't participate oh, yeah. in it. yeah uh, so school board supervisor county supervisor like what are the offices that are like uh sure so there's there's actually a whole lot of elected offices there's um but the ones that i would focus on are city council and school board uh city council and school board those are the odd year elections okay they're nonpartisan, so you don't have to be a member of a political party to run Uh, okay um those are the ones that happen in november of every odd year in the November of every even year, you get county elected offices where you do, those are partisan elections. You get state legislatures. You get statewide offices like the governor or a senator or even a presidential race. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's when those things happen. And that's when all the money goes in. Right, right, right. And really goes to push people out to vote. And then everybody attaches themselves to those, those tickets, right? Is that kind of... Basically, that's how you do it, uh-huh. yeah. Wild. <laughs> well, this is this has been a very educational, uh, uh, you know, podcast because uh, you know a lot of people, young Latinos. So we're the youngest too, by the way. We're the youngest demographic. We are. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're the youngest by about 15 years. Right. Per median age. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there was, uh, so when I used to network, you know, I would go here in Iowa, go to a networking event, and it's like 100 people, and it's like me, and maybe a black guy over there, maybe a, you know, Asian person over here, or, you know, just very, and we started the Latino Trade Network, and this gal, she's mid-20s, I met with her, and she just like, oh, I'm glad that one of these things exists, uh, but she only knows this type of network group now. You know, I know the one from 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I see the flip, right? Like we flipped the switch. Now we have a network of Latinos that you come in and, and it's majority Latinos and business owners and professionals and, you know, organizers and and all this stuff. But, you know, uh, young people like her, she sees now, uh, and th- those are the ones that, I feel like you need to reach, right? That we need to reach. So they don't have to go through the same of like going through the same process of learning. Now there's somebody there that can like Mm -hmm. uh, walk you through it and, you know, uh, help you. Uh, So hopefully somebody listens to this and they reach out to you. And if they do, let us know. So then we can see uh, if you reach one person, that's good, right? It is. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily about, yeah, I want to run for office in three months. Uh-huh. That's great. If you do, I'll help you. You might want to run for office in 10 years. I can still help you there, uh-huh, too. Uh-huh. Because a lot of the choices that you make uh, take some time. Uh-huh. Like the, the best candidates are the ones that they've already invested in their community. They're connected through local organizations. And, and that takes some time to do. And maybe you don't want to, maybe you can't see yourself in elective office right now, but you know you're passionate enough that you want to do it. Uh-huh let's have a conversation then we could talk about the things that you can do in those five or 10 years or whatever it is that's going to be your build up to when you think you're going to be ready because you can make some choices that'll make that campaign more successful for you Uh, so it's it's not just short term you can start from you always can you know you like i said i put my name on the ballot two months before the election (laughs) (laughs) what's a good what's a good time like a year Oh no! For for like the city council school board, I would say you want to know maybe seven months out, and you want to uh, announce it maybe five or six months out. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where you know there's different strategies for different elections, but um, but you don't have to know a year out. I mean, okay, um, you can start thinking about it. You can start talking to people. Um, but your campaign doesn't really start going until the summer. Um, and so you just, you would typically, I would advise people that more than two months lead time is usually a good call. Um, <laughs> I, there's, like I said, there's, there's a lot of things I did wrong in that first campaign. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but the, there's an exception to every rule too. Uh-huh. Um, so I might say, yeah, you want to give it five or six months and, Somebody could point to, well, they'd put their name on the ballot three months before the election or me and say, well, you see, I got through. And it's like, yeah, there's an exception to every rule. But, right. you know, you, you want to be planful and um, and ask yourself some of the questions that besides those first two obvious questions you have to ask uh, that'll make you a better candidate. What's the, uh, so the LPN is the Latino Political Network. Yes. 
is what's the best way to connect with you through that the website website's great um my i'm pretty sure my phone number and my email are on there if not they're very easy to find i'm not i'm not hidden at all and then my day job is with something called Iowa and Minnesota Campus Compact, uh-huh. which is a this network of 50 colleges in Iowa and Minnesota. And uh, we do things like um, AmeriCorps and VISTA programs. We do student voting. Oh, um, okay, okay. We do a lot of like uh, professional development with staff and faculty um, and working with them on building relationships with their communities and um, providing best practices in that regard. Uh-huh. Uh, we work with the member presidents of those schools and um, advance the kind of the field of, of community engagement in higher education. So I'm, you could find me there too, and everything rolls back to the same phone. So, uh, it's, <laughs> so you're, what you do on your, for your day job and what you do as, as far as community uh, involvement, it all kind of, I, I feel like it all connects. You know, you asked me earlier, you know, did you know you wanted to do this early on? And, and you know, like I said, it. I don't think I knew that I wanted to do the job that I'm doing right now. I don't think I knew I wanted to do the LPN uh-huh. um, for a while. But I knew I wanted to be involved in public life. Uh-huh. I knew I wanted to be part of the solution. And... Uh, and that part wasn't hard. It's just you, what happens is your, you know, your road takes these little forks and detours and Uh you learn what's behind door number two and it's kind of interesting or you learn what's behind door number three and you don't like it at all and you want to go back the other way. Uh, so I never could have guessed that I would be where I am right now, Uh but this is absolutely what I want to be doing in life. Right. So you, you just following kind of like instinctively kind of the the you're following your heart almost type of way a little bit bit, yeah yeah i'm i'm fortunate in that regard right i get to do work that i love like whether it's lpn or campus compact or uh the next project project. yeah this is stuff that moves me that's in my soul Uh that um, matters to me Uh and um you know so not everybody gets that right that type of privilege yeah yeah, there's there's such thing as like waking up and just kind of living your life, yeah. right? And and then by default, you're creating work that gives you gives you a living. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. hey, uh, we some got kids. I mean, we got right, right, right. Somebody told me like, you have to monetize your passion. Like, it's got more long term. You know, mm-hmm. then if you if you just go by it by passion and then it, it'll die off and it'll, you know, there's no longevity there. Uh, um, so if I want to impact my community, I have to find ways where this it can I can do it for thirty years and not just five years and just kind of you know. So uh, so I respect that because that's kind of how I feel. I just feel like. I wake up and then I'm come in here and then just things unfold, you know, and there's decisions and, you know, work and stuff and emails and everything, but it doesn't feel like work. Well, you didn't know you were going to do the Latino trade network five years ago, did you? No. Yeah, no, no. And, uh, but yet it's exactly where you want to be. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, we, uh, and I think that, 
if you have the ability to make your own way and make those choices, then you do need to, you know, I, I, you said something I never heard before, but monetize your passion. Um, you know, make a, find a way to make a living doing the thing uh -huh. that you feel, you feel most passionate about. Right. Yeah. Right. What advice would you give to somebody that's, you know, I mean, 18, there's people that are very uh, uh, ready for a city council office or something to yeah. 25, like somebody that that may be uh, a young, brav baron. Um, I would tell them, give me a call. I'll always take your call, uh, and I'll be happy to talk to you. Um, I would tell them, don't be afraid to just do things. Uh -huh. Um you know, take a job or volunteer for a campaign. Don't be afraid to do those things. Um, I think a lot of folks that I talk to that are kind of in that college, early college graduate, they're a little worried about which decision that they should uh -huh. make because uh, they they fear that they're going to make the wrong decision. But, you know, I didn't, when I was 22, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. Like I could, I could you erase could the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's easier to look back now and make that realization than it uh -huh. is when you're in the moment. You're like, well, God, you know, where, do I? Um, I remember I had an opportunity to take a job out in D.C. Uh, and I passed on it because I wanted to stay with the person I was dating, who I've now been married to for 18 years. Uh -huh. And then a year later, we went out to D.C. together, and it worked out well. Well, you know, I probably sweated over that more than I should have. Oh, right? Uh -huh, yeah. um, made the right decision in the end. But, you know, you that's not to say that there aren't a lot of uh, right decisions that are out there. Uh -huh. uh, so, you know, I always try to relieve the pressure on younger people when they ask me that type of advice. Uh -huh. just, just, just do something. And if it's not the right thing then you gain the knowledge of what you right. don't want to do or where you don't want to be or the type of structure you don't want to work in. You find out something. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you're, and you know, as long as, as long as you're, you still have a roof over your head and you can, you know, you can buy groceries, then you're okay. You're not any worse off. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that, Rob. All I'm right. sure we'll be running into each other again. Uh, um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate the work that you do uh, and learning more about the Latino uh, political network. And, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's the type of work where it also attracted, attracts me where I'm like, you know, how can I do my um, little part here to, mm -hmm. to help the, the mission, you know, help, yeah. help the, help the mission. So, um, hopefully we do it again sometime. Uh, the it's political season is coming, so I didn't want to get too political with the local stuff going on, and you know. Oh, yeah. But I think those are fun conversations too. They and are. They're, they they're are. important too. So yeah. Um, thank you very much for coming in, and we'll be talking soon. This is a pleasure. It's uh, it's fun to better get to know you a bit more too in other conversations, and I think we've both realized we've admired each other from afar. And yes, um, yes, yes, yes hadn't really built that relationship yet so this is a gift and thanks yeah thank you very much i'm sure we'll we'll have more uh, and more conversation either on on the record or off the record but like it'll be exciting to to have chats with you sounds good thank you thank you appreciate it yeah
This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies. Amplified.